Welcome to The People's Show with Bick Nazar and Randeep Janda. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The People's Show. Vic Nazar, Randy Janda, Josh Elliott-Wolf, Dominic Schramatti, and of course you, the people, most important people on The People's Show. 650-650 if you want to be part of the show. Always appreciate when you engage and interact with us. You can always join the conversation. Start the conversation yourself. Uh, texting in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Halfway through the week, Randy Janda, what's up? Not much. We'll try that again. Randy Janda, what's up? Check, check. Mic check. Okay. Two straight days, Bick. How is my week going? It was going perfectly fine until yesterday when my mic stopped working at the beginning mm-hmm. of the show. So, I don't know. Well, now we got a streak going. So it's like, now we have to do it tomorrow. So if we have a good show again. This is like jazz getting thrown out of the Fresh Prince house. It's like, it's a bit, and now we just have to keep doing it. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah. It's a bit. We're going to tell our engineering team that. It's a bit. It works really well because if your mic is out and you're like, ah, it's like jazz getting thrown out. It's exactly like that. So does this make Josh Ellie Wolf Uncle Phil? (laughs) Yeah. No, we have the same build, so I think it works. You might be more like a Jeffrey than a Uncle Phil. Fair enough. Um... I was going to say, yeah, Jeffrey might be the best. But it's it's a good way to start off the show if you want to piss me off. You know when you're just agitated right off the show? Mm-hmm. So I'm on to you, Josh. I'm on to you. There we go. A uh, lot to get into uh, throughout the course of the day. Kevin Woodley will join us in the 2 o'clock hour. Corey Pronman and also uh, uh, Corey Pronman is going to join us in the 3 o'clock hour. Jeremy Colleton will join us at 2.30. The Abbotsford Canucks head coach. Excited for... Uh, you and I to do uh, the Abbey Report all over again. So That's we're kind right. of doing like a modified version of the Abbey Report today. It's kind of the uh, the coaches' day here on Sportsnet 650. Bruce Brudrow was on the show in the morning. We got the Abbotsford Canucks head coach, Jeremy Colleton, uh, joining us as well. And yeah, kind of a, a preemptive Abbey Report. We enjoyed doing it last year, mm-hmm. touching base with a lot of the players, some of them who have moved on to other teams, others have returned. There's a bunch of new guys, but it starts with the coach today. Also, in about a half hour, we'll talk to Nick Cosmider as well, who covers the Denver Broncos for The Athletic. We'll preview the AFC West. We'll kind of do a division a day as we get ready for kickoff next week in the NFL. But you mentioned it is kind of Coach's Day here on Sportsnet 650 on Halford and Bruff this morning with Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair. Bruce, there he was. Joining the morning show earlier today, hour three of that podcast, if you want to go listen and subscribe. Spotify, Google, Apple, however you listen to your pods, including ours, The People's Show, Canuck Central, Canucks Hour. Be preemptive on those ones. They're coming back real soon here, uh, so you can go subscribe to those ones right now. I'll play you a couple of clips that we heard Bruce talk about. You know, when you review last season, because, you know, he steps in midway and does what he can, 57 games, obviously, you know, swept the city up. Bruce, there it is, and all this sort of stuff, and the results were they what they were. And you start plotting out, okay, what does it look like next season? And even when you go back to the end of season press conference, Randy, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin saying, well, we want to see him go through a training camp and all this sort of stuff. And you're, you're, you're going to see the full process of what a Bruce Boudreaux season looks like. 
the end of the last season was just, hey, survive, get what you can get done, and we'll review it. But now it's, we really get to see the influence of what a full season under Boudreaux looks like. And you kind of harken back to moments and try to pick up some things. That first little stretch when he first arrived, like, was one of the things Boudreaux talked about? Conditioning. Yeah. And, you know, he was asked today uh, by Izzy about, you know, what does a Bruce Boudreaux camp look like? And there was two things that he brought up. And, you know, for me, it's it's two very important things that have to be kind of established. Now, some of this is coach speak, right? Coaches are always going to talk about working hard and all that sort of stuff. But here's the two things that Bruce Boudreaux highlighted that I think are important to uh, keep in mind as we get ready for this upcoming season. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of hard work. And uh, uh, I, I think it's going to be competitive. I mean, uh, most of the stuff I do is situa- game situational stuff and and we want to see the compete level right off the top of the bat, uh, right right from the start. Uh, uh, also, I mean, um, you know, some things change in the fact that the players now are usually in great shape most of the year as compared to 30, 40 years ago. But at the same time, I think training camp is the time where you have to, you know, get in the best shape possible. And the teams that are in the best shape possible usually have an advantage earlier in the year and we want to take advantage of that and so I think we'll we'll be a really good conditioned team and a real competitive team knowing exactly what we want to do right from the get-go so uh, and it has to happen that way because uh, uh, when you start five games on the road in in tough buildings you know <laughs> you, you don't all these other teams want the same things too so we better be ready yeah there's some cliches in there coach speak yep but a big complaint for me last year, I mean, even going back to the, the the North Division year, is compete level. And too often, especially in the opening 25 games of last year, there was too many times where it felt like it was okay to lose. And that mentality of the effort levels, the, that, that constant push to try to get better and make it difficult for teams. Even mm-hmm. if you're going to lose, put up a fight. And I don't mean actual throwing fists, just... And some nights you might need yeah, that, actually. But, yeah. but make teams skate for 60 minutes. And to me, there wasn't en- enough of that uh, over the past two years. And just to hear that, the big two headliners for Bruce Boudreaux, what a Boudreaux camp looks like, compete level, and conditioning. So a couple of things there. Come ready mentally and physically, right? Where the expectation is, if you want to be a championship-level franchise. And remember, Rutherford and Alvin are coming from that franchise. If you want to be at that level, there's two things you have to do right off the bat. And some of the the work that we saw during this offseason, and I know there's you know press releases sent out and maybe not some major details, but you've seen the restructuring of the club done on, on various levels. And we saw, first of all, the management team and that situation play out. But then eventually, doctors, strength and conditioning, trainers, the whole thing has been reworked to something that the management team sees as the way that they need to do things. And a part of that is, are you setting up the guys for success? And clearly based on last year, the way that they started, and when Boudreaux and eventually Rutherford and Alvin took over, they came into the building and in a lot of ways said it pretty bluntly was, yeah, they got a long way to go. Conditioning wise, you mentioned Boudreaux saying that, but even going back, Patrick Alvin mentioning practice habits. There were a lot of things that this organization internally looking inwards was saying, yeah, we need to, we need to up this. We need to up the infrastructure. We need to up the expertise and change it up. So I think there's a couple of things now, now that they have that infrastructure, 
it's on the coach to say, all right, you don't have any excuses. We're doing things a little bit different this year where I want you to show up this way. And not to say Travis Green was not. No, but yeah. It was a different, a different maybe thought process. Maybe there's a different method to the madness. Boudreaux has been saying that since he arrived. You know, and a lot of people at the time yeah. were even taking those comments to say, hey, the conditioning has to be better. That was an indictment of last year and what that standard was. I think it was easier if you go back to the beginning of the Travis Green tenure to sell that when you have Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Who's setting the standard for conditioning and things like that? Yeah. Even to this day, we talk about like, hey, man, they were still winning the the conditioning trials later on in their career. And over the course of time, over five years, some of the standards can slide or whatever it is. And obviously, it's harder to sell that message and we know how it turned out. Sure. And you talked about the success of the GM, the executive level. As much as people like to, to say and mock, well, Boudreaux never really had overall playoff success relative to the players on the team. He's had overwhelmingly success compared to what some of these players have accomplished. There is a very small group of guys who have only been to the second round once. Yep. That's really about it. Generally speaking, Boudreaux goes to the playoffs every single year. And that's the key though, right? We can talk about, Hey, what has he done in the playoffs? And that's a valid question with Bruce Boudreaux's career of can he outcoach other coaches? Can he get the maximum out of his lineups in the playoffs? This team needs to make the playoffs, like an actual playoffs. Not the North Division, or not, sorry, not the uh, the bubble year. An actual playoffs. And Bruce Boudreau can do that. So having that standard over 82 games, where the part of the season that we refer to as the grind, where November, December, January, before the All-Star break, when you are playing a lot of games, potentially on the road, injuries, bodies starting to break down, the adrenaline of October is starting to wear thin because you're you're in that grind. Can you pick up those points? It's early in the year. Are you ready to go? Yep. You don't want to be cutting weight and as the season starts. And he mentioned the, the five-game road trip, right? For sure. Like, be ready at the start of the year. And what was the thing that, as great as the 57-game push was, what was one of the reasons they couldn't get to the finish line? First 25. First 25. You didn't maximize the point output at the beginning of the season. And he's referencing that, hey, we have to be ready to go right away. Yeah, it's 82, and yeah, the games later on the season, quote-unquote, mean more. Meaningful games in March and all that sort of stuff. If you don't secure the bag early, it doesn't matter what you do at the end of the season. No, and I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of conversation in this market of, all right, you know, the management team hasn't made some huge moves. The turnover on this roster didn't happen to a certain degree. Okay, they didn't do that. But how do you use that to your advantage? A bunch of teams in the Pacific Division, a bunch of them, had a lot of turnover. Look at Calgary. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to have to figure some things out the first two weeks of the season, right? You look at Vegas, they've had some turnover. They got three dudes in goal. Nobody knows who's going to start right now. They're going to have to figure out something. So I guess the glass half full approach to this is you didn't have that much turnover. You add some quality players in Mikheyev, but it's not that many players. Can you hit the ground running? Can you bank those points early on? And that's why that conditioning matters so much. Because you look at the rest of the division, there's going to be maybe the growing pains for Calgary. You got to bank those points. You got to bank those points, especially as you play teams around the league who have had a lot more turnover. 650-650, if you want to chime in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. A couple other things uh, he did talk about. Uh, He was also asked about the accountability. Again, we're talking about that compete level. And trying to maintain standards throughout the course of a season and standards that Bruce Boudreaux can 
instill now from the beginning of a season. Again, it's it's different when you enter in the middle of the season and the games are coming fast and furious and you're just trying to get through. So how does that look for Bruce Boudreaux at the start of a season? Uh, here he was talking about the accountability. When they do things wrong, you just can't let them continue to do it. When uh, um, And it starts right the first day of camp. We want to do things the right way all the time and with an effort uh, that you know, is deserved by the, for the Canucks. I mean, we don't want any, anything, um, anybody taking anything for granted. We want to go out there. We want to work our butts off and, and, and watch what happens. And I think that's what we did last year. And we just want to grow on that. But I mean, as far as making people accountable, that's just my job. If, uh, if they're not doing the right things, then, you know, I mean, we've got enough good players, I think here that, the that, the you know, I mean, you better do the right things or you're not going to play. Real simple, right? Real simple. Now, that's real simple in philosophy. Yeah. In practice, we're going to see that play out. Now, he's done that to Vasily Podkolzin. He's done it to Nils Hoaglander, obviously, mm-hmm. we saw last year. A little bit more depth in the forward group now, so maybe there's a bit more opportunity to try that and say, hey, you're doing things wrong. We're going to put you down the lineup because I can put up Andre Kuzmenko. I can move up. Connor Garland or something like that. Mikheyev, yep. Mikheyev, and we'll get to him in a second because he did talk about Ilya Mikheyev as well. Again, nice in principle. It's something that I want to see play out because at times you might be, like last year, you're really getting into scenarios where it's like, okay, am I really going to push up Jason Dickinson up the lineup? Yep. Yeah, you can do it here and there, but is it something that's going to stay true for a long stretch of time? And I, I do believe in that because there's a couple of things, right? There's going to be, we've seen Boudreaux in... In small sample sizes, not necessarily light up a player, but mm-hmm. be honest about a player. He's, he's always honest. Hoaglander is the most obvious example, but even talking about Bo Horvat last year, remember when he said, hey, when Bo is engaged and in the game. And Pedersen. And Pedersen. Yeah. They're amongst the best in the league. But when they float and sometimes start puck watching, that's where you you know fall into problems. And he was very specific on on that quote with Bo. And, and that's... That's being direct. That's being honest with the player in media. I'm sure behind the scenes as well. But it's not as if, as if those guys didn't get minutes, no, for right? Sure. So, so how are you actually going through the process of keeping accountability? There's, it's a two sided uh, argument, and especially with Boudreaux, where I think one of the things that he mentioned when he got the job, and he did echo today, is confidence. When he arrived in Vancouver, these were players that were low on confidence. So he understands what it takes to get players going at their best. So even though there will be a direct line of communication, you know where you stand as a player. If you're not doing something right, he's going to say, if you're doing something right, he's going to he's gonna give you praise in the media. He's going to talk about you like he's talked about Demko, like he's talked about Quinn Hughes, like he's talked about a bunch of guys on that roster. But that accountability factor is very much needed, especially for those younger guys. For a bunch of years here in Vancouver, you had guys gifted roster opportunities, especially in the forward group. Because the wingers, specifically, there's not much depth there. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, you've got options. You've got three lines, not only at the center position, which he referenced of hinting at Miller, Horvat, Elias Pettersson playing down the middle, but the winger position is stacked right now. So if you're going to be in the lineup as a young player, you're going to have to do it based on merit. It's not about, hey, we got nobody else. That's what I want from a, a guy like Bruce Boudreaux and it sounds like it sounds like he's going to have that direct line and and be honest as well, which is 
to be fair, a lot of young guys in the league right now need that. Yeah. I don't know if every market gets that though. I will say it's stacked with bodies, right? Like we can debate the quality, sure. but there's a, like there's NHL bodies here. There's depth there. High end depth is the question. We're not talking about like Patrick Kane and Mark Stone, no. but but there's real NHL bodies yeah. on the wing, and we'll see what the high end looks like for someone like Brock Besser, who I think a lot of people are expecting this bounce back season. The other guy who I think just brings a unique profile to this team. And I know, look, we, we've debated four years, 4.75, all this sort of stuff. Is it a little bit on the high end for price? Yeah, it is. But one of the things that's interesting here is th- they don't really have a player like this on the roster who can play with this kind of speed. And we're talking about Ilya Mikheyev. And Bruce brought uh, Mikheyev up when he was asked about uh, what he's excited about with this entire forward group. Well, it certainly gives you depth. And it gives you... Uh especially in McCabe's case, um, the, the, fact, the fact that you can think a little bit of offense when you're supposed to be totally on defense. Because, I mean, I, I think he was the leader in the league in, or right up there in goals, but definitely in chances uh, on the penalty kill because of his great speed. But, you know, I mean, people make a, a lot about our, our penalty killing, but, I mean, we were uh, 10th in the league the last 56 games. I mean, and I think we we're just starting to get really good at it. And, and so I think we've got good penalty killers, but now we've got really good depth at the penalty killing department. Tim, uh, talking about Ilya Mikheyev on the PK, you also talked about just the overall depth of the four group. Again, you can go listen to the full interview. It's really good. Uh, hour three of the Halford and Bruff podcast earlier today with Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in. And that's a penalty killing aspect, something we were talking about yesterday uh, when we were talking about potential Achilles heel. Uh, for these teams. And penalty killing, to me, is still something that's to be aware of. Uh, obviously, Mikheyev is going to have a role in there. But when you look at just the, the profile of what he is in relation to the rest of the Canucks wingers, and really just in general, they don't really have a lot of burners. They have some good skaters. Like, obviously, Bo Horvat, we know about the great improvements he's made, and he's you know, very good skater. JT Miller, you see how fluid he can be sometimes, dancing through all of Ottawa. And, you know, he's got that in his jacket. Yeah, Elias Patterson's kind of a Interesting skater, but he can get around the ice with some mobility and some fluidity. Garland's shifty. We've seen the the spin cycle that he does. But as far as just, I'm going to put pressure on people and get players on their heels and influence the game with just natural speed, they don't really have that. Hoaglander's like a hard worker, but he's not a burner. McKayev's a burner. Yeah. And him highlighting that, as he did earlier uh, in a different clip, it's something that they just don't have, and I'm, I'm curious how he gets utilized. And he talked about it. It's like, hey, this is something I've liked for a long time. Just having that component in the roster, I'm curious how a coach kind of looks at that and says, oh, this is what I'm able to do now with this with, with my line machinations. Well, it goes back to the, is this team tougher to play against? And I know there's a lot of folks during free agency and the trade market were saying, okay, have they gotten that much tougher and have they got that much faster? Yes, they have. Whatever you think of Dakota Joshua, it's a it's a low you know low risk pickup mm-hmm. guy who who could offer a little toughness there. But I mean, other are three years at a million. That's a low risk pickup. But yet again, another player that mm-hmm. makes you tougher to play against further down the lineup. But Mikheyev gives you the potential to have that on two fronts. Five on five, he could feature on the top six. Ideally, probably a third line winger that gives your third line some jump. But he could feature in the top six. PK. He's going to make life difficult. Those mm-hmm. defensemen are not going to like playing against him. And the player I've compared to him in the past, I think he's a little bit more abrasive than this guy, especially early career. But I look at him very similar to a Michael Grabner. 
And Gravner had a high offensive ceiling. We're talking about a 30-goal score. But near the end of his career, Michael Grabner was one of the best penalty killers in the NHL. When he was with the Islanders, when he was bouncing around, even the Coyotes, there was, you know, he was a good penalty killer. So Mikheyev may not have that ceiling offensively as a goal scorer, but if you look at his shooting percentage last year, shorthanded, four goals on 17 shots, mm-hmm. right? That's 23.5%. This is a guy that was top about 12 in terms of shot attempts. He's going to get shot attempts shorthanded. Power kill is going to be a key word in Vancouver this year. Mm-hmm. And Ilya Mikheyev will be the large part of that. He's not going to probably play two to three minutes of short-handed time. He probably, you know, he averaged last year about 140. But they're going to be high-impact minutes. He's going to make that penalty kill a lot more aggressive. There's going to be more risk with it. But in terms of speed, yeah, Vic, this is a team that up until last year, really, Tyler Mott was the only speedy forward they had. Mm-hmm. And sure, the Canucks need more speed. I don't think they're done. They shouldn't be done. But Mikheyev does make them more difficult to play against, which is something for a long time, this team has been pretty soft to play against. I would say the last two or three years, they've been pretty easy to play against outside a couple of moments here and there. 650-650, keep coming with your thoughts. We'll do wrong answers only on the other side as well. Uh, You can always chime in, be part of the show. We're talking about cap hits and uh, someone says, uh, only people that care about players' cap hits are fans and GMs. Coaches don't care. Yeah, absolutely they don't. Not even a little bit. Uh, this one, what does Mikheyev bring other than speed? Speed isn't everything. Uh, a tight end reference in the NFL. Evan Ingram has all the speed in the world. Can't catch a ball, so he's a trash player. What can Mikheyev do other than skate fast? Again, he's going to have a, a role on the penalty kill. Yep. And he is smart with leverage and angles and all that sort of stuff. So he is a smart IQ player. He's a good two-way player. He is a good two-way player. Now You will be frustrating too, though. Yes. He doesn't finish a lot of the chances he gets. And that's where some of the risk comes in to paying him for 4.75 is okay, when you're a penalty killer and, and you're not a star level player, right? This isn't asking Pavel Datsuk to feature on the penalty kill when you know you're going to get value there, Patrice Bergeron, and you know you're going to get point value out of there. When your primary role and the reason you're getting paid is penalty killing, my expectation is penalty kill should be very good because they're paying a premium for it. He's not. I wouldn't put in the bank 20 goals every year. There's the potential for him to do it, and that will alleviate some of the concerns. But unless he's playing with Elias Pettersson consistently or JT Miller consistently, I'm more skeptical in the overall point totals for Ilya Mikheyev. But as far as smart, intelligent player, he is that. And he brings speed as well. He'll likely get a, a much more advanced role than he had in Toronto when it comes to the PK. So, you know, when you talk about playing a little bit more, I believe Mitch Marner was the high man on that. Mm-hmm. He played about two minutes on the PK. You should see an uptick from Mikheyev, who was in the, like the 124 to 140 range. So, yeah, that's that's where he's going to make an impact. Can he help this team be a top 15 PK? Which is, remember, they were 30th last year. They were historically bad last year for the first half of the season. Big news are Randy Janda back in the minute. We will talk to... Uh, Nick Kosmider from The Athletic in Denver covering the Broncos. We'll talk about the AFC West as we get set to preview the NFL season all in the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Six fifty, six fifty. If you want to chime in, always appreciate your contributions to the show. We're talking about Ilya Mikheyev. 
and Alistair and Clearwater texting in. Signing Mikheyev to a 4x4.75 is kind of like buying Beats headphones. There are far cheaper options out there that will work almost as good, but you're just paying extra dollars for name value. Do you have high-priced headphones? Uh, these ones, yes. Yeah. You... I, again, I also, like, I use them literally every day for my job. Yes. Like, they're they're very specific to what you do. Yes. I got the Beats ones that, you know, are, like, perfect for jogging. Sure. So it's like a luxury. Yeah, that's... Kind of what people good. would see as Ilya Mikheyev. So I, I relate to that text. But you don't use those, like, while you're doing the show, do you? No. So they're, like, they're jogging yeah. ones. That's it. So you... That's the PK. You bought the Mikheyev of, of headphones. I did. That was highly unnecessary. So I, I feel that text, Alistair. 650, 650. Keep coming with the thoughts. Uh, always love it when you're part of the show on The People's Show. Uh, let's talk to Nick Cosmider now who joins us. Vic Nazar and Randy Jandy covers the Broncos for The Athletic as we get set to uh, talk about the AFC West getting ready for kickoff next Thursday. Uh, things getting underway for the NFL. Nick, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we are good. Obviously, we have a, a certain location uh uh, proximity towards uh, Seattle, and so our eye constantly gazes towards uh, the AFC West and the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. How has uh, this relationship started out so far? Uh, I think to this point, it's it's been everything that the Broncos uh, were hoping for. You know, I, I always think of this scene a uh, couple weeks or about a week after Russell Wilson was traded for. He meets with Tim Patrick, one of Denver's wide receivers, uh, in the hallway. That. Patrick just happens to be walking through as Russell comes in for the first time. And you could just see on his on Patrick's face the, the way that he, he hugs him and, and just sort of stands there with this look of awe on his face. It just goes to show like how much having this franchise quarterback has changed things for a team that since Peyton Manning retired in 2015 has had 11 different starting quarterbacks. I, I think the idea of just finally getting continuity uh, at that position has, has breathed, has, you know, delivered a big breath of fresh air to to a lot of um you know players fans coaches um who who just have not been able to enjoy any kind of production at that position in a real long time okay so we know like the good vibes are there but when you talk about position groups and the broncos being in this very difficult division can they hang with the big boys which are the chiefs at this point in time are they in that convo Uh, i think it's too early to say i think so much of it is going to depend on you know, this relationship between Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, uh, who is a first-time head coach uh, and is also going to be the play caller. Um, you know, they're obviously going to do some of the stuff that Russ did well in Seattle, but he is also bringing an offense um, with an outside zone blocking scheme that takes parts of what um, they did the last three years in Green Bay, but also incorporates um, some more traditional aspects uh, of that of that kind of West Coast outside zone offense. And so how does how does all that come together? How do they sort of narrow it down and decide, you know, what the things are that, that Russ with this given personnel and within this scheme can actually be good at? I, I think that it would be probably naive not to expect the Broncos are going to have some, um, you know, some stumbling blocks out of the gates in terms of um, offensive, you know, chemistry, continuity. Those things are probably going to take some time, um, you know, but, it, but I think their defense is good enough to win early. I, I think this group could be even better. Uh, than the one last year under Vic Fangio. And, and given that, I think that if the offense can you know, just kind of find ways to win, which is what Russell Wilson has typically done in his career uh, for the first half of the year, then, then come the second half, that might be the time that you start to see that, that symmetry on offense really come alive. I, I want to focus on the defense because for the last couple of years, 
uh, they've obviously been the the shining example of what the Denver Broncos are. And you know, they go out and draft someone like Patrick Sertan, who looks fantastic and looks like he's ready to take that mantle of one of the best CBs in the league. And yet, like it's been the model of Vic Fangio, and and it's high, so highly regarded. And you move off of it, and you think, okay, there might be some slippage, but you know, there seems to be a growing sentiment of you know, and you just mentioned it, it could be even better. Why is the hire of Evero so exciting? Well, I think part of it, obviously, is you know, is where he was right the last the last few years, being being with the Rams, being around a lot of really good coaches on that staff, um, you know, kind of understanding how to use um, really talented personnel and, and and use combinations that get the most out of guys at different positions. I think that's something that he's been able to experience. And as you mentioned, he is rooted kind of in this in this Vic Fangio system. Um, you know, kind of worked earlier in his career. Uh, under Fangio a little bit, so has that sort of knowledge. And I think the continuity piece uh, where, you know, a lot of the personnel for the Broncos is going to be running a scheme that, while it has some of its own flavors, is going to be very uni- uh, very similar to what they have done uh, in the past. So I, I think that's, that's, I think, where it becomes exciting is that you have a lot of continuity, um, but you also have somebody who's coming in who has worked with a lot of really talented players and coaches who can kind of bring his own his own flavor to it. All right, we want to talk Broncos. We also want to kind of talk about the know thy enemy as well. And looking <laughs> around the division, um, let's start with the Chiefs. Chiefs, you have to start with the Chiefs. Uh, are they weaker without without Tyreek? Is is this something that you know, looking across the division, that they are perceived to be less than last year? Well, you know, I think anytime you lose a weapon that's as explosive as Tyreek Hill, I think all those questions. Are warranted, but from from what I gather, I, I think that the Chiefs are really sort of kind of embracing this challenge that um, you know they're going to find you know other ways other ways to win, right, or other ways to be uh, efficient offensively. And it, it would be uh, it wouldn't be fair to characterize it as you know Tyreek Hill and, and the Chiefs' offense. I mean, this is a, this is a unit that goes as Patrick Mahomes goes, and I think you know they're going to have other weapons. They're going to find other ways, I think, to be productive. So to me, until until the Chiefs actually um, you know, kind of fall off a little bit. I, I think expecting that, um, you know, it's kind of a, a, probably a fool's errand. It is one of the things that's to be excited about that team too, is the defense might be smoother throughout the course of the year. Yeah, that, that's part of it too, right? They, they've made a lot of additions on that side. I also think that, you know, after that Super Bowl loss, the, the Chiefs did so much to improve their, their offensive line. And that group was really good this year. Now they just have another year of continuity. So I think even though you lose a playmaker like Tyreek and the wide receiver is such a visible position that, that a lot of people kind of recognize what that, what that could do. I think so, so many other parts of their team, there is that continuity. But again, what the Chiefs also have now is a division that is better than it's been during their six-year reign atop it. Um, you know, the Chargers are better. Uh, the Raiders made some big additions. And obviously, with what the Broncos did at, at quarterback and elsewhere, they are a far more worthy competitor to the Chiefs than they have been, um, you know, while losing – um, you know, the, the last five years. So that, that to me is, is, is what they're up against now. You mentioned the Chargers, and they've got talent everywhere on the defensive side of the ball. We know Justin Herbert and the weapons that he has. Would they be the biggest wild card in this division if they hit their ceiling? Yeah, I, I, to me, I've, I've in, in our preseason, you know, kind of pickings, I have, I have chosen the Chargers to win this division. I, I think Justin Herbert is that good, and I think we'll, we'll kind of reach another – plateau um this season and then of course you talk about the defensive uh you know additions they made whether it's Khalil Mack uh, or JC Jackson at corner um you know they they are a team I think that uh has has continuity they have a lot of talent on the roster and then again I just think that Herbert 
um, is ready to take uh, another big step this year and become one of the league's very best quarterbacks. And uh, another, again, another year on a co- under a coaching staff uh, that, that was there that started last year. Just a lot of that continuity piece, I think, is going to make them dangerous. I, I always just wonder because you know we, we talk about the, a leap a player can make, but there's certain things that they didn't address that I wanted to see them address. It's just natural speed on their offense, and yeah, Herbert can make a big jump. How does that work in relation to what's available to them, though? Well, you know, I, I think a quarterback can erase um, you know a lot of those things. You know, you, you talk about you talk about speed, and and you know that they they have they have I think. The important part is, you know, these trusted weapons and guys like Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams, guys that he's played with. Um, though I, I think you can't underestimate how much that sort of continuity um, plays plays a big part in it. Um, you're right; they're not they're not necessarily the the fastest team um, in the league, but I just I just think that they do enough things well, and because of because of how well <laughs> Herbert can put the ball on people, um, you know, and his accuracy level, you sort of make up for that a little bit. So I, I think their, their skill position talent, um, you know, is enough. Obviously they need Austin Eckler to continue to stay healthy and that kind of thing. But again, I just, I just think that he combined with some, the coaching and the scheme that they have there. Um, that's why I like them atop the AFC West this year. Hey Nick, we know you got to run. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. That is Nick Cosmider at Nick Cosmider. If you want to follow him on Twitter, K O S M I D E R as well. I didn't get to the Raiders, but just some thoughts on the Raiders. Uh, for from us personally here, yeah, I'm really excited, right? Because when you have Devontae Adams, we have Darren Waller who's back from his quote unquote hamstring injury. I'm curious if he was just kind of holding in and the old veterans training camp, and then you throw in. There's also a uh, contract discussion yeah. as well, kind yeah. of. So you can you can always yeah. read between the lines there. And then, like I like Josh Jacobs. I know they're a little sour on him, or just overall usage. Uh, Zamir White, they go in draft. So like. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about the Raiders, but the offensive line they they That's wave it. Alex Leatherwood last uh, uh, yesterday, who I, I wasn't a big fan of, but Colton Miller is someone that's you know emerging as a real NFL player. And then on the defense, th- they do have Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. I kind of feel like they're a discount version of like the Dallas Cowboys, where it's we have our stars. Don't pay anything. Don't pay any uh, attention to anything else. But we have our stars. Yeah. And this is kind of a reduced version of that. And I, I like the coaching staff better than the Cowboys. But the, they could be a high-variance team. But in a division that has, as you mentioned, the wild card of the Chargers and Justin Herbert could take this this leap, that has Patrick freaking Mahomes in this, it, it feels tough for them to reach the ceiling if things break right and the injury is okay for their stars. Because you have these other three great teams. Yeah, and the battle in the trenches, that O-line is a big worry, right? Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of Raiders fans that are like, all right, what's going to happen? Where are the signings? Where, where's our, our tackles? Uh, where's our right tackle specifically? So yeah. I do have concerns there. The other thing is last year was kind of like house money. You expected them to be okay, but a 10-win season. Well, because everything, like the way everything transpired, in hindsight, you can look at it as house money. Yes. When you invest the amount of money they did into the coaching staff, obviously, you have expectations of what's going to happen. But then the the, the season just became... It was a mess. It was a complete mess. And the fact that they made the playoffs was remarkable. But they were a negative point differential team. And and that's my point. 10 wins last year, negative point differential... If you look at that, and they ended off the season with four straight wins, they had their, they're a very streaky team, but part of that is also, hey, they got 10 wins. Can you replicate that in that division where the Chiefs defense, you mentioned it, can be a lot better. We got Chiefs fans in our inbox saying, 
the O-line's going to be good, and the defense is going to yep. be good. The Chargers' defense should be very, very good as well. When you add Khalil Mack, guess what? Your pass rush just got that much better. And the Broncos, they're they're not a 7-1 team anymore. Uh, you might be low on the uh, on the Broncos as well, but they're probably in that 10-win range. If They've they, got the quality as, as a team to be one of the top 12 teams in the NFL. But schedules are what they are, right? Like sure. you play what's in front of you and you're in the division that's in front of you. You might not get to 10 wins, but they've got the quality to be one they of the They should be teams. in that range. Yes. And if we talk about the bottom of that division, the floor has been raised. Mm-hmm. When you add Russell Wilson to the division, when you expect a jump from Herbert even more so, and that team is better on the defensive side of things, yeah, Derwin James locked up. Like There's going to be a, a standard that can the Raiders match that? And I love Devontae Adams. I think that was mm-hmm. a, a monster pickup. Him and Carr will have a lot of chemistry, but defensively and the O-line, those are some questions that you have to, you know, 10-win season's great, but that negative point differential to me is is something that kind of won despite of. And listen, win's a win. doesn't matter, but it's still on your record. I think next, uh, sorry, tomorrow, power rankings tomorrow, we'll do our top five kind of thing. Okay. And uh, we'll get ready for our record predictions Let's and, do it. and division winners next week as we get ready for kickoff. One week away. Uh, I know when I did my power rankings last time, I didn't have the Chiefs as high as some people wanted uh, into the inbox. Uh, spoiler alert, that might be a bit higher this time, now that we've gone through preseason and everything like that. Just just letting you know. Okay, and this gets people riled up. Riled up. Make a list, people get mad. That's how it works. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. The Chargers is the one. You, you know uh, that meme of like the Undertaker behind who's the rest of AJ Styles? Yep. And it's just like... Spooky. You know, I was talking about yesterday how it feels like there's a coronation coming for Josh Allen, and it's, this whole season's going to be about Josh Allen takes the headlines. I feel like that's AJ Styles, and Justin Herbert's behind him. Be He's like, the no, Undertaker. No, I'm here. I'm the one that's here. Because, okay, let's be real. Yeah. Statistically, from two years ago to last year, Josh Allen had a better season two years ago. Remember, he finished second in MVP voting. Mm-hmm. Last season... Less yards, more interceptions, I think one less touchdown, no fourth quarter comebacks. Now, look, when you're winning, all that sort of stuff, you go on 11 and 6, how many fourth quarter comebacks are you going to have? And it's better to just win earlier and get that. But the, the hype of those two playoff games, I feel like has ridden over me like, oh, he's it was a fantastic year. Well, every statistical measure regressed for Josh Allen from two years ago. And this feels like this year it's, it's building to, okay, now they're going to go to the Super Bowl, they're going to win the Super Bowl. He didn't have as good of a year last year as he did two years ago. And that baseline might be that's what he is, and it's just it's awesome all the time. I'm just talking about like nitpicking the high end yeah. here. He might be the third best quarterback in the league, but Justin Herbert might be the guy who takes that leap. We say, whoa, that year Josh Allen had two years ago, where we finally said, oh, man, we were all wrong on Josh Allen. Yeah, I feel like Herbert might have that year this year. Well, here's the thing about Herbert, though. His floor is so high. Like when you go 31-10 and 10 in your rookie season mm-hmm. in terms of touchdowns, interceptions, you go, what, 4,300 yards. He follows it up last year with a few more interceptions, but more touchdowns as well, more passing yards. What are we talking about? Like, what's that next number? Yeah. Like, the floor is already so high for this guy that what's going to wow us? Because I feel like he is the, we, we've we crowned him as the next one, which he is. Look, you watch him play for five minutes. You know he's there. You mm-hmm. know he's he's in that conversation. Statistically speaking, what is his arrival? Because I feel like he's already there, man. I just think it exists in a in a conference in a division with Mahomes and obviously Josh Allen now here. You throw in Joe Burrow who goes to the Super Bowl. He gets to take some of the the headlines away from him. I just don't feel like 
Justin Herbert's gotten the headlines. And maybe it's just me wish casting because you know I though? think I'm such a big fan of his. It's team success. Yeah, that's fair. And I, like, I think Herbert on his side of things has done everything he can do in the last two years to get his team into the conversation. The only thing missing is... Real talk. Who have you heard more about this offseason? Tua or Justin Herbert? Herbert. You think so? Well, for good reasons, Herbert. I think there's a lot of questions. Oh, I, I oh you mean just a, general noise? Or? Just general noise. But I think there's been some positive reviews for Tua so there far. There has been, but the, the underlying question is always, mm -hmm. what is he going to be able to do with these weapons? Is he for real or is he a fugazi? Mm -hmm. With Herbert, those questions were in college. I, I remember watching yeah. him and saying, I don't know if this guy's going to translate. Man, I was wrong. I think with Justin Herbert, you're not hearing anything about him, maybe, mm -hmm. or is not as much as Tua because people know he's arrived. They probably need... They don't need confirmation of that. They probably needed what Tua did and what Josh Allen had two years ago. What happened? Miami goes to get Tyreek Hill. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills went out and got Stephon Diggs. And that's why I kind of posed it to Nick. It's They didn't really go get that field stretcher or just the, the dynamic player. Keenan Allen's a fantastic wide receiver. Yeah. Mike Williams, when healthy... He can be a big play guy. Canadian content, Josh Palmer, mm -hmm. he's a player on that team. But I wanted to see just a, a dynamic speed element added to this team. In a, in a season where all these wide receivers were getting traded, everyone's trying to go for that contract, and you got this guy on a rookie deal. Yeah, they made investments. They got Khalil Mack on the defensive side of the ball. But if they had that Stephon Diggs type thing, I think we'd see the the nonstop Herbert hype machine. I would be it would be unstoppable right now. I'm telling you, we'll, we'll get to January. I think Herbert uh, maybe usurps Josh Allen for the headlines. All right. Uh, so with that conversation, though, Miami's been trying to load up with playmakers to make Tua look better. The Chargers are yeah. basically saying, Herbert's going to make you look better. You can make everyone else look so better. So that's the difference. Yep. And, you know, people know Vicky's in the Texan box saying, we've heard a lot more about Tua. And that is because there's questions. Like Herbert, I don't think there's questions. It's just a matter of what is the team ceiling with this guy as of right now. Marcus and Gibson's week one, big six. Is there a more important week? Who's got a Who's got a tougher week one? Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, or me? Okay. I think it's between you and Russ. <laughs> Pete's playing with house money here. Yeah, always guess, compete, baby. Even I, if you lose, always compete. I guess Pete's got a Super Bowl. I mean, Russell's got a Super Bowl as well. But, but Russ like, is like new home. Yeah, Let's Pete's, ride. Pete's 70 years old. He's, he's at the, the, the back nine of his career. Russ is like, I got to prove myself again that yeah. I'm one of the top 10 quarterbacks, maybe even higher than that. You got to prove yourself because yeah, Big Six has been a failure. <laughs> well, for one year, it has been. It, it, we stumbled What last have you year. done for me lately? We, we stumbled last year. What right? have you done for me lately? I get it. I get it. Uh, nice shots fired there by Marcus and Gibson. It's into the 650-650 text message inbox. So let's get some more uh, submissions in for wrong answers only as well. Uh, so there's been some messaging going across on uh, some Canucks marketing. That's right. What's the term? If you look at the graphics right now mm -hmm. that the Canucks are coming out with, it appears to be... This is actually the right answer. We're going to give you the right answer yes. first. So don't be tricked by the music. It appears to be, we've got unfinished business as the slogan. It's been on some tweets. It's been on some social yeah, media. It's, it's been of, on some of the marketing. It's not prominent, but it's, yeah. if you see you know, the latest one about ticket sales, which, by the way, single game ticket sales started today at 10 a.m. for the Vancouver Canucks and the Abbotsford Canucks. We've got unfinished business. Naturally, that leads us to our wrong answers only. What should the Canucks season slogan be? Because we've seen some other ones in the past. What was Relentless one year? That's kind of an idea. Yeah, We Are All Canucks is the classic yeah. one. Yeah, which was absolutely. A, a standard catch-all when you're rebuilding. So for this next year, what should the Canucks season 
slogan B650650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, Randy. I'm going to go with a, a Rutherford quote here. Hopefully the numbers aren't out of whack. <laughs> and it's a catch-all. You can talk about salary cap. You can talk about JT Miller's contract. You can talk about attendance. All of that. Hopefully the numbers aren't out of whack. So again, it could be about anything, not even Could the... be anything. <laughs> could be about Doug McCallum's stadium plans. It's a catch-all. I have a quick one if you guys want. What do you Absolutely. got? Absolutely. Uh, the Canucks slogan for this season. We're going to be aggressive. The audio drops are always always make it good. Uh, Jordan and Langley. Oh, no, we suck again. I can't do the Rob Schneider voice. Oh, right. no, we suck again. That's better. There you go. Do we have that one, Josh? He's working on it. All right, we'll get that. Jordan and Langley. There's always next year. Back to back, Jordan and Langley. Let's go. We suck again! Oh no. Uh, Chef Swagger. We we kind of ran out of time because they couldn't pull off a Miller trade. <laughs> That's pretty good. We I, live day to day. I was, okay, this was going to be mine. <laughs> okay, I got another one. Okay, the, Along the, those the, reason, lines. the reason I was going to say we live day to day. Look, man, Coach has got a one-year contract. True. Bo Horvat going to UFA. JT Miller going into UFA. Fair. There's not a lot of long-term stability here. And do we have the full clip of that one, Josh? All right. I got another one, actually. Yeah, we, we live day, day to day. Like, we live, you know, with, you know, today. We're in today's world. Oh, man. Keep hoping. <laughs> Can you imagine if it was just, we live in today's world? Yeah. That's the slogan right there. I, I should change mine to that. Yeah. Or another one. We've got all the information. Wrong answers only. Minor Matt. 60,000 or bust. <laughs> uh, wrong answers only for uh, what the Canucks season slogan should be. That's the problem that you guys have because you don't have all the information. Well, now they do. I like this one. Unsigned. Structure lives here. <laughs> How do you sell tickets? Structure. Structure. Uh, I've got one. Yeah. Mark Messier was right. Oh, oh no. Let's no. let's not even go there. Why? Let's Josh Elliott no, no, but choosing violence today. Hold on. Hold on. Do we know if Sad agrees with that take? Do do we know if Sad agrees with that? Mark Messier was right. No. <laughs> They're not even here. I didn't want to do this. <laughs> Prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. Uh, Nathan and Surrey, wrong answers only for the 2022-23 slogan. Miller, Horvat, and everyone else that leaves on a poster saying we are all Canucks. Love mm -hmm. Nathan and Surrey. Okay. You know what? We're on a roll with these audio clips. I have another one. Here's the Canucks slogan. Dan Riccio. Uh, I hate Dan Riccio. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, please don't hurt us. 650, 650. Man, there's some uh, really dark and deep ones. It feels like Confession Friday here. Yeah. It feels like therapy a little bit. We're a business, a skating business. That's all right. Is that a reference to something? We're a business, a skating business? I think it's just playing on the unfinished business part. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to that conversation on the other side here. Painter and Lanceville, we're better than Air Canada. That is a low bar. <laughs> Shake and bake. 
Uh, oh, the the unsigned texture of structure list here is text, texted back in. We read it. It's an elite submission. We read it. Some strong ones coming in. Uh, Keep them coming. We love to read the Leaf Hater Steve one. I haven't seen it yet, so I guess we are. I don't know if we can read that one. No? Okay. Uh, <laughs> expectations smaller than Richio's shoe size. Oh, man. Come on, guys. Man. He's actually got uh, disproportionately you... large feet. I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> wondering where, where you're going with where that. Where are you going with that, Dom? Where are you going with that one? For such a short human, <laughs> he's got big shoes. Why are you looking at his feet? They're so large. Why is no one taking Cole Lind? Slogans. For the upcoming season, wrong answer only. Um, we got this one as well. The Canucks slogan. Bruce, there it is. In Dan Reach's Italian voice. I do not have that one? No, I, I was going John Marino. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Man, I haven't heard that in a month. Oh, he's coming back. Apparently, he had his last pro in Europe today. Oh, poor guy. He's coming back to Vancouver. Poor guy. Uh, Dan, introducing Nathan Rourke at left D. They need help on the right side, not on the left side. Come on. Hey, they can introduce Vernon Adams as well. Trading for him as well uh, today. Lions, we'll get into that later on in the next hour. Uh, but we will talk about that uh, Canucks season slogan. We got unfinished business. Do you like that? Do you like that? We'll get into it on the other side. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.